This is the Commercial Property Show Australia. Show number 33. Now, if you're buying a property on a month-to-month basis, what security have the lenders got? You might have to have some kind of creative financing there. Well, it would have to be very creative financing. <laughs> Commercial property community, how are you today? My name is Andrew Bean. I am the host of the Commercial Property Show Australia. Episode 33 for you today, and here it is. Today's show is all about the Victorian commercial property markets. I've been wanting to do a show on this for a long time, and now that everything is sort of getting back to normal and we have a lot of listeners in those marketplaces, it seems like a great time to find out where the hidden opportunities are in that state. Investing in commercial property is a lot like a team sport. You need a lot of good players around you to complete a property transaction. No one can do it alone. If you're like me and want to surround yourself with like-minded people who have similar property goals, people who motivate you and push you to achieve more, then come and join the commercial property community today. You can find our private group on Facebook by searching Commercial Property Show Community or you can click on the link in the show notes. Our expert guests are just waiting to answer your questions in the forum and together we can help each other reach the ultimate goal of financial freedom. My next guest is none other than Chris Lang. How are you, mate? I'm good, thank you. Excellent, buddy. So for some time now, I've wanted to do a show specifically on the Victorian markets and the opportunities that have been presented by COVID-19 and today's the day. So Chris, you're based in Victoria. Where are you most active in the state? Probably in the Melbourne market, suburban market, I guess. Okay. And so what stock on hand levels are you seeing for each sector right now? Well, if you talk to most selling agents, they'll tell you they're short of stock. I mean, during the COVID last year, when everyone was in lockdown and very despondent and so forth, people were saying to me, oh, look, the market's going to collapse and it's never going to get back to where it was. And at the time I said to me, you've got to understand, I said, this is a medical crisis with economic implications as opposed to a total financial collapse like the GFC. In circumstances like that, demand doesn't disappear. It just gets deferred. So what we've seen, as I sort of predicted to my clients, is that everyone is suddenly playing catch-up. And yes, there are people suffering coming out of the pandemic, but the vast majority of households and businesses have got more cash in the bank than they had probably for the last 10 years. So we're now seeing this. And I mean, you don't have to look at the residential market. Clearance rates of 79, 82, 85% on a weekend. Anything over 60% is putting pressure on prices, the clearance rate. So 
what we're seeing is, as I said, the people are playing catch up. The demand's increased, but the stock levels haven't. And so everyone, whether it's residential or commercial, there's no depth in the stock that they've got at the moment. And are you finding it hard now to come across regular good deals for your clients? Yeah, look, most of them are, are overpriced. I mean, the people, look if they've got similar properties, look at what's just sold and say, well, I'll put mine on the market, but I want 5%, 10% more. Sometimes it works. Sometimes they're surprised. And at the moment, if you said to someone for a commercial, I'm not talking retail here, I'm talking an office building, you're going to have to look at 5%, 5 and a quarter percent. If you'd said that 12 months ago, they would have said you're crazy. You know, it's got to be at least six and a half, probably seven. But if you can borrow money at two and a half, 2.75%, if you're getting a 5% yield, you can totally fund it. You've still got a positive cash flow. Mm. So it is difficult. And as I said, with stock being short, it does make it hard. And most properties are either going to auction or to expressions of interest. And as I think you know with me, I like to get to look at the properties through the network of agents I've got so that my clients can effectively negotiate off-market before the property even gets to the public market itself. Yeah, that's right. What's the general confidence in the marketplace right now? Are your clients still happy to invest in Melbourne, being the cap rates are obviously a little bit lower, or are they happy to look abroad as well? When you say abroad, you mean? Anywhere else but Melbourne, yeah. Okay. Well, most of my clients what I affectionately refer to as wealthy amateurs. And I mean that in the nicest way. They running their businesses, they're not expert in property. They probably have had some experience with residential property, but they're generally looking for guidance and most of them looking to place funds that have been hard earned over the years. And sometimes that's many years, other times it might only be 10 or 15. But money they don't want to see put at risk. And I don't know whether we're Victorian in name and Victorian in nature, but Melbourne never seems to reach the heady heights of Brisbane and Perth, but nor does it plumb the depths. I mean, when those markets collapse, they collapse. Whereas Melbourne and to a lesser degree, Sydney tends to level off and perhaps flatline for a while, but it never really plummets to lows that you know, give people a real fright, either 25, 30, 35% drop. That, you just don't see that. You might see a 5 at the worst, a 10% adjustment go on in the market. And most of my clients are looking for predictable income and predictable growth for their investments. And how about vacancies in the Melbourne area now, Chris? I know from personal, like collecting data from different areas, the office market, particularly in Melbourne, is there's a quite high vacancy rate there at the moment. Is that what you're seeing on the ground? Yes, I think that there's been dire predictions and Melbourne has perhaps been the slowest to return to, not well, no one's at full occupancy, but a reasonable occupancy. And that, I guess, is because we had a much longer lockdown than most did. Having said that, there was a one firm, and I think it was in the covered in the financial review today. One firm, this is a CBD office, had put 25% of their space on the sublease market. Now, 
what they've suddenly found is that it's been slow to come back and there are some people that want to work from home still and for most people it's two days at the most three days that they want to work from home but for those that are in the office there might be less of them but they actually occupy more space per person because of social distancing and people are no longer happy with just this huge vast open space with hot desking and so forth they've missed the community activity and communication being isolated at home and so they want their desk and not crowded in with everyone else but they want these breakout spaces where they can catch up with people and do a bit of brainstorming and so forth so the whole configuration of the office layout has changed so this firm's now withdrawn the 25 percent that it was trying to sublease and taken it back on board because they realize they're going to need it so there will be a period of adjustment but I don't really see it as a long-term issue. The other thing that's interesting is that what some people found working at home that they really appreciated was the fact that they didn't have a commute night and morning. So, you know, that in some cases saved an hour and a half, two hours in the day. So in response to that, some firms have said, well, let's just decant whole departments if we've got a, you know, a lot of our workforce living in the eastern suburbs or the southeastern suburbs let's just take a whole department and put it out there so that the commute is 10 to 15 minute drive rather than a to an hour and a half to get to work and back again so it's what's called a hub and spoke setup where yes you still need the head office but they're looking now for space in the sort of four to six hundred square meters in the suburban office so there has been a an increase in demand for tenancies of that nature. So just going back to the vacancy there, Chris, are you seeing a lot of properties go on the market with vacant possession? Well, no more than usual. However, in the new developments that have been in the suburbs, where they are generally offered to the market vacant, but in the process of construction, a number of them are leased out, so those are offered as investments. But what we're seeing is more owner-occupiers in the market because, I mean, if you can borrow 25 to 3%, it's actually cheaper for you to stump up a 25% deposit and buy your own premises than pay interest than it is to go in there and lease it. Okay, so has your preference of asset class changed since the last lockdown? No, not really. I mean, I've always preferred office and then industrial and then retail. The activity in industrial, because of the online selling during COVID, has meant that the industrial market has become pretty frothy, probably more in Sydney, I would say, than in Melbourne. So in some respects, while it's very active, it's probably not good buying at the moment. And I think you're probably still better served looking at an office investment, strata office investment, depending, I mean, once you get up over sort of three, $4 million, you probably get something standalone. But for the sort of half million to two million bracket, you're looking at strata offices and I think you can still buy well. Yeah, fair enough. Okay, so do you see any hidden opportunities in the Victorian marketplaces? Probably hidden is the wrong word. <laughs> Only that 
as I said, with stock being as short as it is, those sort of properties are rare. And yes, they've been so overpriced when they've gone to the market that they haven't sold. You've got to think of the psychology is that there are people in the market that are continually on the various portals, commercial real estate or real commercial or whatever, have permanent alert to be told when properties come available. Now, as a new property comes on, they in the lead up to the sale, whether it's expression of interest or auction, they might show some interest in the property. If it doesn't sell, they suddenly move on to the next shiny object. So in some respects, I'm quite happy that the properties are overpriced and don't sell because you've only got to wait a month, six weeks after the end of the marketing campaign, and those vendors are getting pretty edgy and they're a lot more amenable to discussion. So you can actually negotiate a decent price, sometimes some terms that are suitable. So if I can't get the property before it gets on the market, that's probably the next best place to go. Now, there's less of those given the shortage of stock and the cheapness of money, but that is another opportunity. But hidden, no, there's not too many of those. Yeah, fair enough. So what about cap rates for each sector? Like, obviously, things are getting pretty tight now. Can you give us an idea of where the cap rates are, like asking cap rate for each sector? Your offices, and I'm talking in the sort of under 2 million bracket, you're probably looking at five and a half to six and a quarter, depending on where it is and how old it is. Mm -hmm. Industrial typically has been at least a percentage, one and a half percentage points higher than office. But that's what I'm saying is it's become pretty frothy and some industrial selling as though there were offices that that same sort of five and a half percent, six percent rate. And I find that a bit disconcerting. Retail still seems to be around three to four percent, which to me doesn't make any sense at all because vacancy rates in all the strip shopping centres around Melbourne and I suspect Sydney and other capital cities, the vacancy rates are double digits, some cases up around 20, 25%. And it just doesn't make any sense at all as an investor. I know interest rates are low, but to accept a 3% net return on something where there is going to be absolutely no rental growth at all for the foreseeable future, it just doesn't make any sense. I mean, retailers have been in sales mode since the global financial crisis. It just, I don't understand it. Yeah, I definitely thought in the Melbourne marketplaces that the retail sector, that cap, those cap rates would actually see a little bit of a rise, but maybe not. Well, I mean, people tend to have a love affair with retail. It's easy to identify with, you know, it's not a complicated sort of product. And what you see in a lot of shopping centres is that in many cases, one landlord might own four or five shops in their strip centre. And the problem is that many of them would rather let their shop sit vacant than lower the rent. Because if they lower the rent on one, we come around to a market review on the other four, that set the tone, yeah. the level. So they've then got to reduce the rent on all those. While they can keep the rent up on the others, it keeps the valuation. The lenders don't get too nervous. It's a really strange situation. I think what you're going to see happen is 
there's going to be a transformation and there'll be more service retail operators come in. The fashion will be replaced by accountants and lawyers and things like that where, I mean, the single property owner landlord will have to meet the market and you're going to start to see a complete change over in that sort of thing, massage parlours, those sort of things that, I mean, fashion retailing is really struggling and you need something that's got a continual regular cash flow or client to provide a good cash flow for the operator to survive. Yeah, well, I thought that that's where maybe the hidden opportunity might be, whereas you might be able to pick up a retail shop that's maybe on a month-to-month lease to one of these kind of retailers that's not doing too well, and then you'd be able to possibly replace them with a service destination type retail operator and then get a decent lease in there. That's where where I thought the opportunity might be. Yeah, well, the transaction's got to be bankable. Mm -hmm. Now, if you're buying a property on a month-to-month basis, what security have the lenders got? Yeah, well, it might be you might have to have some creative financing there. Well, it'd have to be very creative financing. (laughs) I mean, people buy a property with a two-year lease to run and they want to go and borrow money for five years. And the bank say, hang on a minute, we'll lend you for two years. If you get the thing renewed in two years, come back to us and we'll certainly extend the loan. So you can only really borrow for for the extent of the lease you've got in place. Yeah, but you might be able to sort out some kind of creative financing with the owner because the owner's knowing that, you know, it's going to be very, very hard to get this lease. They've had a bad experience with coronavirus yada 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 and you might be able to get some owner finance with the owner and they become the bank and then you can really start moving on with getting a new tenant in there and then take out finance against that property with a new lease i know it's not an easy thing to do but that's what creative financing is yeah no i understand but i suppose if you're having trouble and someone says to you i want you to leave in a third of the money or more for two years, you suddenly think, well, we've got enough trouble getting rent out of my tenant now. What happens if he up and leaves and the new purchaser can't get any? What likelihood of I am I? Because you'll have to take a second mortgage because the buyer will want to take a first mortgage on the property to cover his part or her part. So it's a totally different thing if you've got a five or six year lease in place asking for something like that. Although if that was the case, they wouldn't even entertain it because it would sell anyway. So it's not easy. You definitely have to have incentives. Like you're going to have to give the owner full asking price or more for the property to make it actually worthwhile to them and then also an interest repayment on top of that. But I do think it's possible. It does happen, maybe not in all circles, but it does happen. Yeah, okay. (laughs) (laughs) You don't sound convinced. (laughs) I hope you're enjoying the show. We'll be back after this short break. At Developer Life, we get it. You own a commercial property and want to add value to it, but you're not sure how or you just don't have time. Well, it has now never been easier for the novice investor to get professional results with our strategic value add strategy plan. We identify exactly how to add value to your property and deliver a step-by-step strategy plan to our clients. And if you're a passive investor looking for a total hands-off approach, we can even manage it for you with our project management service. 
So contact us today at www.developalife.com.au to secure your free 30-minute consultation today. That's www.developalife.com.au. We want to help you maximize the value of your commercial property. All right, mate. So how do you feel about regional locations in Victoria like uh, Ballarat, Bendigo or Geelong and et cetera? Well, they're all strong. Yep. I mean, it was a time when you could go there and get a at least one, sometimes 2% improvement on the yield. Yep. That's not the case. I mean, in Geelong, three, four years ago, it used to be one in five houses were sold to Melbourne buyers. Now it's one in four. So I suspect it's the same in Ballarat and Bendigo. I mean, there is a tremendous shift, and particularly if people are able to work, get away with three days a week, they say, well, I'll come in on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and then they have a tremendous long weekend, and they're happy to commute because, I mean, if, you, if instead of driving, you'd take a train and, you know, it's an hour, an hour and a half, and the train, you can actually get a bit of work done and relaxing or reading the paper or whatever. Um, but if you're only doing that three days a week because you live in a regional area, it makes the home life balance, you know, more appealing. So when was the last time that you transacted a property in one of the regions well, that's regional? Actually negotiating with one client at the moment on one in Geelong. Okay. And I bought a, a little while ago a reasonably large industrial property for a Sydney-based client in Geelong which will ultimately end up being a development site. It's got three street frontages and about five titles. Wow. So, I mean, there are deals there to be done, and the Geelong market is certainly strong. I think the population's growing. I mean, it changed from an industrial manufacturing city into a university high-tech carbon fibre development for, you know, of world status. So this really has extraordinary change. I mean, Epworth Hospital, one of the leading hospitals in Melbourne, came down and spent $390 million building a brand new hospital here in Geelong. And as a result of that, the university now has a medical faculty. That So it's, things are going ahead. How far is, what's the commute from Melbourne to Geelong in minutes? Well, if you do it by train, it's probably 50, 55 minutes. Okay which is probably a better way to do it. Yep. If you drive, it depends when you leave. If you leave at 6.30, you know, it's probably an hour drive. If you leave it too much later than that, it's probably an hour and a half. Oh, okay. Yeah, so it's not like two, three hours. It's, yeah, it's pretty close. I mean, that's in Sydney, people, uh, you can't really get anywhere in Sydney in less than half an hour. And driving, I drive an hour to work today. So, you know, it's yeah. not too bad. Mate, so... With the cap rates in the regional areas like Geelong, Bendigo, Ballarat and things like that, is there much difference now or would you really be asking getting better cap rates? How does it actually work in comparison to the city? Well, as I said, it was 12, 18 months ago, there would be a favourable differential by buying in the regional areas. At the moment, I don't think there isn't that much difference. Okay. Mind you, there's not many properties that are going to sell for much more than, say, four or five million. 
yep. the larger ones that have been developed as huge office buildings are institutionally owned. But so for the smaller investor, and most of it, it seems to be going to auction and selling at auction. So again, there's a shortage of good quality property available. Yeah, fair enough. And just uh, jumping off topic here as well, Chris, how do you feel about the inner city apartment vacancy crisis? Is that really, really big in Melbourne? Because I know it's quite in your face in Sydney. Yeah, look, I think it's an issue. And I think it's been exacerbated by the likes of Airbnb, where people, instead of letting it out for six monthly tenancies, would rather let it out for overnight or weekly tenancies because they can get three, four, five times as much for the rent. Now, they might have some vacancies, but it seems to be a more economic way for them to do it. And I think that's causing a lot of problems. Yeah, I think the vacancy rates have crept up, rents have dropped, but I think you'll see that start to to ease back. I mean, coming out of COVID, it's not going to suddenly return to how it was. Having said that, parts of the economy are actually operating at, at a better speed and activity than it was before COVID. I mean, you certainly, you've seen the unemployment rate drop dramatically. At one point, they were predicting it was going to stay over 10% for a couple of years. And what are we now? 5.6% and heading lower. Mm. So there's going to be a transition. There's going to be bumps. It's going to be, it's not going to be even across the whole economy and the whole property market. But there's certainly an upbeat mood and people are no longer despondent. And part of that is with house prices rising as they are, it has this sort of psychological wealth effect. Mm. People feel good. If you're trying to buy a property in the market, it might feel that good sometimes. But for those selling, they feel very comfortable. Yeah, I think I heard in the news the other day that Melbourne had ticked over as a million-dollar median house price. Correct, yeah. That's cool. So do you follow net migration at all? Yeah, to a degree. I mean, Melbourne, I think, has seems had a net loss of people. Yep. But the thing is that at one point we were pinching people from Queensland and at one stage I think Melbourne was tipped to overtake Sydney in population within 12 months. Well, I think that sort of leveled off. But again, I don't see that as an altogether bad thing because the infrastructure was running behind the population growth. And so by people moving into the regional areas, that's had several benefits initially for the regional areas, but also it's taking the pressure off the infrastructure. Now, Victoria's got a major infrastructure plans under construction at the moment with underground loop, removal of level crossings to speed up traffic with cars and freeway extensions and links and so forth. Mind you, some of that won't be finished till 2028, but it's got to be done at some point. And I think you'll find that the population will start to come back to Melbourne. I mean, it's not a bad place to live and it seems to be or have been pretty well handled over the pandemic. And as I said, I just find my clients who are based all around Australia seem to want to have a preference for investing in Melbourne because it is more predictable. It doesn't have the fluctuations. Yeah, I think Melbourne will always be a winner because they're always going to have a very, very large amount of 
high paying jobs in the area. And that's what moves people to places is the jobs in the area. I've actually started tracking jobs in the area. I didn't bring any data with me today on Melbourne. I wish I had of now, but that's quite significant. Well, it is. And the other thing you've got to remember is that unlike other capital cities, Melbourne doesn't have a dominant sector. I mean, Sydney has the finance sector. Brisbane and Perth have the mining sector. Canberra, funnily enough, has the IT sector. I don't understand that, but apparently that's the case. So when there is a decline in the mining sector, that's why Perth and Brisbane fluctuate so much. When they're up, they're way up. But when they go down, they struggle. Yeah, Melbourne's got BHP, but it's the only miner. It's got ANZ, but that's the only bank. And likewise, over a whole lot of industries, it's pretty evenly spread. So it doesn't have the profile that is susceptible to major change. So, mate, are you seeing a change in the rate per square metres for the different sectors as well? Has it really made a big difference? Well, yeah, I mean, with arithmetic calculation, if yields are firming, obviously rates per square metre are increasing. Yep. And probably won't be necessarily short-lived. I think it will probably, once it reaches a point, will most likely be sustained because the cost of building is going up. I mean, people can't get lumber at the moment. Getting a lot of stuff that comes in from overseas in metal framing, delivery distribution lines are being frustrated. So if you can't reproduce the product cheaper, obviously the existing product's got to upheld in its value. Yeah, that's right. So, I mean, because that's the case, now you might be able to find properties in future that are under-rented compared to the market. Most leases, commercial leases, have at least a three, sometimes a three and a half. I'm handling one at the moment. It's got a 4% annual escalation. So assuming the rent was right at the beginning, that's I would have thought those sort of automatic increases, you're not going to be too far off unless you've got a perhaps a, an older owner that's had the property for 20, 30 years and has probably been a bit benevolent with the tenant because the tenant's been a good tenant. And yes, you might come across the odd property that you could argue is underlet, but in most cases, probably not. Okay. So, mate, have you seen incentives to lease up office space in Melbourne increase now? It has. I mean, they're probably running at about 25 to 30% at the moment. So of the lease offered as an incentive, and that may be as a rent-free period or a contribution to fit out or a shandy of the two, but that seems to be about it. I think it before COVID, it sort of dropped down around 20, but it seems to have eased up a little bit. So what price bracket are you seeing most of the good deals come from? Is there an opportunity for the, the really, really high-priced properties to get a good deal on that, or are they just being eaten up by the big players? Well, I think in the sort of 3 to $10 million, under that, you've got a lot of competition. $10 million is probably too small for an institution. They're really wanting to be sort of 20 to 50 to $100 million. So there's probably, if you can call it a sweet spot, an opportunity in the sort of 3 to $10 million bracket. Where do investors need to be careful when considering the Victorian markets? Well, I don't think it's contained in Victoria. As I said, we'd be very wary of retail property. Unless you've got a, I said, a service-based tenant, 
there's one I'm looking at at the moment as a potential for a client. It's in the CBD, but it's under a block of 700 apartments and it's a food outlet. Now, I mean, everyone's got to eat. Mm. And when I say food, it's grocery type of things. For those people who presumably would work in the city if they don't already work from home, they've got to pass the shop to get the lift to go to their apartment. So, I mean, that to me would make sense as a retail opportunity because effectively got a clientele locked in. But other than that, you just got to be careful. I mean, I think the banks are going to be selling off more suburban outlets and they did it a while ago back in the late 80s, early 90s when they sold a lot of the banks and they sold them off in five-year leases with three five-year options. But what people suddenly found out is that the ones they were selling off were the ones they intended to close anyway. And so the end of the first five years, they just disappeared. And the thing is with banks and a lot of these bulk auctions, I think Burgess Rawson run a few of them and they have banks and they, when people just are mesmerized, they buy the bank and the property comes free, if that makes sense. Mm. You know, they just get locked into that. And the problem you've got to understand with a, a bank is that the configuration of the bank is very, is not conducive to an alternate use because generally somewhere in the middle is a huge vault and the cost of removing that vault is astronomical. And if you're looking at retail, a retailer wants open space so they can configure it how they want to. So not only do you have the problem that the banks are likely to leave, but you've got to spend a fair amount of money adapting the shop so it can be easily used by another retailer. So those are the sort of things you've got to look at. You never buy a property because you fall in love with it. It's got to make economic sense. And so it's important that people do their homework, get the right advice, and just do enough due diligence to make sure it's going to work in three to five years' time. Yeah, it's funny you say that because I have seen quite a few banks for sale, um, not so much recently, but previously six months ago, and it seemed like every single Westpac in a regional area was for sale at mm. one point. The going trend of the way technology is working, I mean, I, I can't remember the last time I was actually in a bank. I mean, why would you even go to a bank? Well, the only reason you go if you had something complicated, you needed some specific guidance on, but I mean... I don't go to an ATM that much now. I mean, yes, I've got some money in a wallet and a drawer here, but I don't use cash that much. So you're right. And that's the issue that you've got to look at. But unfortunately, people, as I said, if you've got a Westpac as a tenant, it's solid. Well, it's solid so long as the lease is the tenant's there and paying rent. But if they leave, it mightn't be a good investment. Yeah, that's right. All right, mate. So last question. Is there anywhere else in Australia right now that you are interested in purchasing property? Short answer is probably no. And that's not to say there aren't there, but I'll happily help any of my clients negotiate a property wherever they want to buy it. But it's important that the property you buy is either within 20 minutes of where you are or 20 minutes of where your property manager is. Because there has to be an intimate local knowledge as to what's going on. And so what I I guess I'm saying is I might come across a property in Queensland or Western Australia and it might, on the face of it, look good, but there might be things going on around it 
or in the pipeline, I don't have any way of knowing that what's going on. Whereas if someone is living in that area, they will have a knowledge. I mean, I've got one client in Northern Territory, a vet, and she's saying to me that I just want to sell up all the property I've got in Northern Territory, which she's accumulated a reasonable amount, and I want to invest it elsewhere because she just doesn't feel that's the best place for her. So I'm in the process of helping us structure leases and so forth to make them as attractive as they can be to get to release as much money as we can, but she just wants to invest it elsewhere than Northern Territory. Perfect. All right, mate. So where can listeners go to find out more about you? Well, probably the best place to start would be commercialpropertymadeeasy.com. That's all one word, commercialpropertymadeeasy.com, where there's a whole host of free material. I mean, there's a number of paid training courses and so forth, but there's a lot of hands-on use tomorrow stuff you can get stuck into straight away and, and then decide whether you want to take it any further. Excellent, mate. My guest today has been Chris Lang. Cheers, buddy. Okay. All the best. All right, all right. That brings us to our newest segment to the show, and that segment is called... Ripper Ripper Resource. In this segment, I'm going to share some resources that I have personally used, read, or listened to that have made a big difference in my life, and I think they deserve to be shared. So, this week's Ripper Resource is... Shut Up and Listen by Tillman Fatita. This guy is super successful, like uber successful. It's ridiculous. His net worth is estimated to be four and a half billion. This book is really, really good. He owns and operates restaurant chains in America, like hundreds of them. He also owns quite a few casinos. The Golden Nugget is one of them in Las Vegas. And he is the sole owner of an NBA franchise, the Houston Rockets. So he's got a lot of assets and a lot of knowledge. This book is really, really cool. He talks about his whole business philosophy and the stages of his life, the different things that he's done. He took his business, the Landry Group, public, um, and then there was a huge economic meltdown, and then he had the ability to buy the actual whole thing back. So he went from public to private company. It's really interesting. I suggest if you're going into business or you just like listening to people that are really, really successful, this is a guy that you need to listen to. So it's this week's Ripper Resource, Shut Up and Listen by Tillman Fatita. All right, it is now time to crown this week's winner of the 50% off value add strategy plan prize. And this week's winner is Jazz Mark One. Congratulations. All you need to do now is get in contact with me to collect your prize. If you would like to go in the draw to win 50% off a strategic value add strategy plan for your commercial property, all you have to do is go onto Apple Podcasts, give the podcast a five star rating, and leave a review with your name and you will automatically be in the draw for next episode. All right, I would like to thank my guest, Chris Lang and Kevin McLeod for the music. 
And remember, in the words of Grant Cardone, be obsessed or be average. I'm Andrew Bean, signing off. This has been a Developer Life production.